My name is Carter Brownrigg, and our second reading is from the third letter of John. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you, and that you may be in good health, as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers and sisters came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers and sisters, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and sisters and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace be to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. My name is Matthew. If I haven't met you before, it's a delight to be here with you this morning. Did you hear last week's talk from Matt Yee? Wasn't that good? I loved it. I wanted to become a Christian. <laughs> All over again. So what should we do this week? We're looking at 3rd John. It comes after 2nd John. And like Matt said, if you uh, haven't managed to read many entire books of the Bible this year, well, congratulations, you've now read two entire books of the Bible in two weeks, because we read the, entire, in the entirety of 3rd John. John is brief, or third John is brief enough to be written on a single sheet of papyrus. It's really quite short. And both letters are giving us a glimpse into the inner life of the early, early, early church. They didn't have a Bible. What? No, they didn't have a Bible. They didn't have all the letters from Paul. They didn't have the New Testament. They didn't have over 2,000 years of theology and practice and experience and tradition to draw off. So they relied almost exclusively on people like me. That's extremely risky, right? I mean, people came and traveled. Teachers were sending out all over the world with the good news, the message of, God, of Jesus. And those who were hearing were relying almost entirely on the credibility and authority and rightness, if you want, of people like me who would walk into their churches, tell them things which were either true or not. And they didn't have, had very little else other than this sort of thing of the apostles who said, this guy's a good one, this one's not so good. Extraordinary, really, if you think about it. But at the same time, delightfully simple. They didn't have budgets in those days, no staffing, well, no HR issues, no legal problems. It was just house church. How wonderful, how easy. No programs to run, no seminaries to fund. Doesn't that sound great, Johnny? Yeah. 
And with all our sophistication, sometimes it feels to me like in the church, we're always trying to do this thing to try and get back to simple church. We add these layers on, but how can we get back to just loving Jesus? How can we get back to the simple, simple things that church is really about? And I want to suggest this morning that Third John, though simple, and it is simple, might give us a very simple framework for what I think is probably the preeminent issue of our oh-so-sophisticated church today. It's just my opinion. But that is the issue of discipleship. With all our sophistication, we're struggling as a church to disciple our people. How do we know? Because our lives, and I'm not pointing a finger at you, I mean pointing a finger at myself as well, our lives look stunningly similar to the rest of the world. So let's have a look at this letter and see what John has to teach us about discipleship. Would you pray with me? Father, this morning, as we gather as a church, as a church with all the gifts that we have, the things that we enjoy, would you help us to hear your word? Through John, through me. But Lord, we might turn our hearts to the things that you would have us turn our hearts to. Jesus, speak to us, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what shall I say about 3 John this morning? As Matt said last week, both letters start with the author introducing himself as simply the elder. So how do we know that this elder is John? Well, both from the style and the content of the letters. We think it's John because both letters are concerned with classically John themes, truth and love. Second John, uh, third John starts with the, second John, I'm sorry, starts with a warning not to extend hospitality to false teachers. And then when you get to 3 John, you just get a mirror. They're very similar, these letters, in many ways. A mirror. Don't, 2 John, don't extend for, to, um, hospitality to false teachers. 3 John, extend hospitality to good teachers. And this is what we read. Beloved, this is 3 John 5. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are. He's talking about itinerant preachers, people who went around carrying the gospel, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey. They're not going to hang around. They're going to go on. They're taking this message everywhere in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name. Isn't that beautiful? Just for the sake of the name, for the sake of Jesus. Accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we might be fellow workers for the truth. Be nice to people like me. Just be nice to me. Simple enough. Then you get a warning about a bad guy called Diotrephus, who doesn't acknowledge John, doesn't accept that, uh, the authority of John, and isn't accepting hospitality. This is what it says. I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So he's basically saying, I don't acknowledge John. So if I come, I'll bring up what he's doing. We're going to talk about this. Taking wicked, uh, his, uh, I'll bring out what he's doing, taking, w talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers, so he's not doing this thing of extending hospitality, and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So anybody who is extending hospitality, Diotrephes is saying, you have to go. Not good. 
Got it so far? It's not difficult. It's easy. Then you get a commendation for somebody called Demetrius. Okay? So extend hospitality, good teachers, bad teachers. Are you getting this? It's not difficult. It's easy. Nod your heads. Come on. Simple. All right. Then you get a commendation for somebody called Demetrius, who's beginning it right. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Okay? Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. He's a good guy. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. He's talking about Demetrius. And that's it. Okay? I'm done. But what do you want me to talk about? It's not difficult. It's simple. Right? Oh, you want me to go on? You want me to say something else? I mean, we've got how long have we left? 30 minutes? Okay. Well, there isn't a lot in the letter to talk about, really. So maybe, maybe I could take some of the themes in the letter. How about I take a theme? Would you like me to do that? So I take a theme. So I take truth. Oh, truth. Oh, yes. There are some of us here who love to talk about truth. We could talk about truth all day. I could do you a nice little lecture. Would you like a lecture on truth in a postmodern world? Would you like that? Are we living in an age of disinformation where it's increasingly difficult to know what truth is? Or has truth always been a problem, all the way back to Pontius Pilate, who faces Jesus and says, what is truth? Should we do that? No, because there are a lot of you here who don't want to talk about truth. Let's talk about love. Oh, we love to talk about love. Love, yes, come on. Who would not like a talk on love? Anybody not like talks on love? Should we talk about love? Yes? No? Should we talk about love and what we've done with love? I mean, we are an age that basically says the primary value is tolerance. Is tolerance the same as love? Which of you parents would like your children to come to you on your deathbed and say, Dad, we really tolerated you? Do we talk about love? Or maybe, maybe, maybe I got an idea. Why don't we talk about how truth and love fit together? I mean, that's a little complicated, isn't it? Because sometimes the truth doesn't sound like love. So if we're going to hold truth and love together, is, is love like this sort of thing that makes the truth a little bit softer, a little bit more palatable? Is that how that fits? Is that the way it works? Or, or, or is love really not love if it's not truth? Does love, uh, truth make love more sort of real, more fierce, more passionate? Is that, is that how it works? Or, or, or is it like quantum physics? Would you like a lecture on quantum physics? No. <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen Oppenheimer? There's a glorious bit in Oppenheimer. Where he finally, he, he explains quantum physics, duality. Do you know about that? Quantum particles, no, not particles, quantum entities can be both a particle and a wave. It's like saying it can be an orange and an apple at the same time. How is that possible? It's possible in quantum physics. Maybe truth and love live together. They're not separate things that somehow wrestle against each other. They're different ways or different ways of understanding one idea, God. Should we do a talk about that? I have to be honest. <laughs> I was reading this letter, 
And I engage in a profound spiritual discipline called letting your mind wander. A bit like Matt was honest enough to confess, you know, there's just not a huge amount in there for a preacher to really dig in unless you explore some of the themes more broadly. So as I was engaging in this discipline, spiritual discipline of letting my mind wander, I started thinking about John, the elder, the one who says, who wrote these letters, the elder himself. I started to think of him about him as a person, because this getting a faith that we are engaged in is not an abstract thing. It's about persons. It's about people like you and like me. And I suddenly was struck by the extraordinary journey these letters represent in terms of John's own life. Because we know just enough about John for it to be a bit of a surprise that he's now known as the Apostle of Love. Many years ago, I was in the church, and I had turned up in the church age 32. I didn't come to faith until I was 32. didn't want anything to do with the church. We used to do Alpha. Alpha is a sort of simple uh, course that actually was a discipleship course that became used for evangelism. And people would come into it, and there would be profound transformations in their lives. And I, I was one of them. I came to faith in complex ways, but I did the Alpha course, and I came to faith. And so then I was part of this church where people would rock up who'd done the Alpha course, who'd come to faith. And I never forget one day, I was at the back of church, and the Alpha course had been away for a weekend, and they'd come back to church. And there they were, and there was this guy who I recognized. I knew him. He wasn't part of the church. He'd been on Alpha. I didn't know he'd been on Alpha, but there he was. He's called Dino. I knew Dino. Oh, I knew Dino. Dino's life was not the kind of life any one of us would choose to have. I knew Dino. And I looked at him, and I thought, what are you doing in church? How did you get here? because I know you. And then I realized he was looking at me, and he was thinking, what are you doing in church? Because I know your life. What are you doing here? We know a bit about John. The first thing we hear about John is that Jesus called him and his brother James sons of thunder. I rather like that. I wouldn't mind being called a son of thunder. James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, this is Mark, recording Jesus calling the first disciples. James, the brother of John, John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges. However you pronounce that is, that is the son of thunder. There's actually a motorcycle gang called Son of Thunder. Sons of Thunder. I thought there would be. I looked it up. I thought, I bet there's a motorcycle gang called Sons of Thunder. I looked it up and there it was. I'm not sure Jesus meant it as a compliment. It might have been a cultural thing. These guys were from Galilee, and Galilee at the time was known for being, the people were known for being industrious and hardy and very proud of their culture, so they're sort of fierce people. Maybe that's why. It could be cultural. And James and John certainly fit in with that sort of stereotype. Their nickname was likely related to their zeal, boldness, and sometimes reactive tempers. And we have recorded whether when people refused to welcome Jesus, this is recorded in Luke, so the town didn't receive Jesus, James and John, the apostle of love, 
wanted to burn the city down. More Prigozhin than apostle of love, really. This is Luke. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, this thing happening, that Jesus wasn't being welcomed, they thought, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Let's nuke them all. That's John, the apostle of love. And John also didn't like outsiders. No, 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 no. There are insiders and outsiders. Not so much of the hospitality for John, not really. The only time we actually record, apart from John's gospel, his own words, that we have a recording of John in the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is what John says. He's, John is complaining to Jesus because people who are not part of the in crowd, they're not part of the inside group, are doing things in the name of Jesus. And John doesn't like that. Oh, I don't like that. No, 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 no. They're not part of us. And John said to him, that's Jesus, teachers, we saw someone casting out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. He's not one of us. Stop him. Stop it. Don't like that. So John is fiery. He's got an idea that we should nuke people. Doesn't like outsiders. No welcoming strangers. And he's extremely ambitious. Oh, yeah. Oh, he's ambitious. Do you remember when James, um, Peter, and John go up the mountain? There's a transfiguration. And then they come down from the mountain. They've just seen Jesus, this glorious moment. And then the disciples have this little argument on the road. Do you remember that? They're arguing about who's the greatest? Who's going to be the greatest? And Mark records Jesus saying this, and they came to Capernaum, and he was in the house. He asked them, Jesus asked them, what were you discussing? John. What were you talking about on the way? But they kept silent. For on the way, they'd argued with one another about who was the greatest. They're not talking about Jesus. They're talking about themselves. Oops. This is the same John, by the way, who's going to have a go at Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first. John, who was arguing about who's going to be greatest in three Johns, having a go at Diotrephes because he wants to be first. What's going on? Maybe Diotrephes actually knew what John was like before he followed Jesus. I don't know. These two letters, if we read them carefully and we think about who they come from, represent an astonishing transformation of a human life. From John before Jesus to John after Jesus. How did that happen? I know it's Sunday, the answer is Jesus. But no, really, how did that happen? Did he just come to believe and make a confession that Jesus was the Son of God, and boom, he became a totally different person? I doubt it. It's possible, but I sincerely doubt it. So there must have been some sort of process by which John's life was profoundly transformed. I love that story that Matt told last week, Matt Yee, about knowing Jesus, or not just knowing about Jesus, but really knowing Jesus. Do you remember that story about Louis Giglio? And Louis Giglio, who did this study out of you know, ambition, if you will, or pride, blah, 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 about knowing everything about the Mount, uh, Mount Ranieri, 
Renier, whatever, however you pronounce it. And um, I think Renier is a football player. Anyway, uh, but anyway, so he does his study, and he's really proud because he does better than his friends, and then he actually goes, and he weeps on the mountain. Do you remember that story? Because now he's actually encountered the reality. Well, I want to take it one step further. It's not just, it's beyond knowing about Jesus. It's knowing Jesus, and it's letting Jesus transform your life. Sounds obvious, but I don't think it is. More than knowing about Jesus, it's actually knowing Jesus and then letting Jesus totally transform your life. How does that happen? That's the big question for the church. If our lives do not look very different from the world's, and again, I'm not pointing a finger at you, pointing a finger at myself as much, but we do the same things, we live in the same houses, we eat the same food, we pack the same packed lunches for our kids. A lot of our imagination and hopes are caught up in exactly the same things as our non-Christian neighbors. I'm sorry to be blunt, but I know it's true, and you do too. We don't look very different to the world. How do I really know that? Because people outside the church tell me. What, do you, what is this thing about? You're no different to us. Your lives don't really show. You may say you believe something good for you, but your lives don't look fundamentally different. How do we go from not just knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus, okay, but letting Jesus transform our lives? What process how does that work? Anybody got any answers? How about eating Jesus? Talking about pet lunches. Why do we eat Jesus? Does that sound a bit shocking to you? Shouldn't do. It's what Jesus said. And at that point, a lot of his disciples abandoned him. You're nuts. Somehow, we have to embody Jesus. We have to take him in. It's not just hospitality for strangers. It's hosting Jesus somehow. Because discipleship is either at the core of what we're doing or it's not really that important. You can't really have it both ways. This is David Platt. You know David Platt? He's a celebrity preacher just up the road from here. You can go to his, and visit his church if you want. Nope, don't do that. <laughs> don't go and visit his church. This is great. But anyway, he said this. People who claim to be Christians while their lives look no different from the rest of the world are clearly not Christians. <gasps> what? You can't say that. Oh, yes, you can. Maybe we have to be honest with ourselves and say that somehow in our matrix of beliefs, we've come up with a sort of deal. And the deal goes something like this. Discipleship is good. We're into discipleship, but getting to heaven is better. Getting to heaven, not going to the other place, is really what this is all about. So as long as we are achieving that, you're not disqualifying yourself by being really wicked or doing something really terrible and you rock up to church and you believe the right beliefs, so you'll get to heaven, then discipleship is secondary. 
Because discipleship is going to be messy and hard and difficult and painful, embarrassing. So why would we do that if it doesn't really, really matter? I wouldn't. But what if, just as a thought, we took Matthew, record of Jesus' word at the end of his gospel, really seriously. This is what Jesus said, not what Matt said. He said, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Got it. Go, therefore, and make converts. Get them to heaven. Make sure they believe so they can get through the door, and at the gate, Peter, St. Peter, will welcome them. Correct? No. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. There is an entrance moment. There is conversion. I am a convert. I'm not against conversion. I believe deeply in the whole process of evangelism. So there's a conversion moment, but then discipleship, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. All, all, all. How much, how many commandments are there of Jesus? Come on, test time. How many commandments? Two? <laughs> all right, two as a succinct. Yes, love God, love your neighbor, absolutely. Fair, fair enough, come on. Come on. How many commandments are there of Jesus? How many commands are there recorded? Come on. Ten? Uh, yeah, no. I'm afraid not. It, the estimates vary because sometimes you can say maybe that's a commandment, maybe it's not. It's certainly 40 plus. Certainly 40 plus. What? What are all these commandments? Probably the oldest discipleship document we have is called the Didache. The Didache records as the commandments the Sermon on the Mount. Go read the Sermon on the Mount. That's what you're supposed to do. That's who you're supposed to be. You know all that love your enemy stuff? Either it's at the core of Christianity or it doesn't really matter. It doesn't really matter if all it really matters is getting to heaven. That other stuff is way too hard. We're going to give up on it very, very quickly. Or discipleship is right at the core of what we're supposed to be doing. This is a guy called Greg Thompson. He's uh, writing on, uh, uh, for a guy called uh, Bishop Todd Hunter, who's an Anglican, so he must be right. He's one of the true teachers. He's Anglican. It's good. So anyway, so, <laughs> uh, Bishop Todd Hunter has this uh, organization. It's looking uh, called the Center for Formation. Center for uh, Todd Hunter. Anyway, and Greg Thompson's writing. He's looking at a series of shifts that he thinks the church needs to make. One of them is this shift towards discipleship. And Greg says this, the goal of the Christian faith, this is for him personally, I'm saying this, you can disagree with me, but he says, the goal of Christian faith was not simply to think God's thoughts. Maybe I could have given you a beautiful lecture on truth. Maybe I could. I'm actually not that clever. I know you think I am because I've got a British accent, but I'm really not. <laughs> or maybe I could have given you a beautiful sermon on love. Maybe I could. But it doesn't really matter, does it? Honestly. Because the goal of the Christian life is not simply to think God's thoughts. That is important. I'm not saying it's not part of it. But to participate in God's life. Where? On earth as in heaven. 
And through that, and this is the radical statement, if you will, though it isn't radical, it's entirely biblical, through that to be conformed to God's image. Are you a Christian this morning? More hand-raising time. Are you a Christian, yes or not? Yes or no? You don't have to put your hand up if you're confused about that, seriously. You've just said you are a little Christ. Are you a little Christ? Hands up, yes or no? Ooh, not so many hands. Why not? Why not? That's what it means to be a Christian. It means you are being conformed over time. It's not about your imperfections. I get it. I'm very imperfect. I had a big argument with my wife this week. It always happens before I do a talk. We have an argument. I had a terrible argument with her. It's not, it's not that. It's not the point. Do you know that your life is about being conformed to the image of Christ? That's what we're doing here. That's what discipleship is. And it sounds a little bit overwhelming. How can I be conformed to the image of Christ? And that's where I thought, I'm going to finish with this. I suddenly saw 2 John and 3 John as beautiful little simple templates for discipleship. Because fundamentally, both of these letters talking about truth and love. And what if I, Matt, was to live the rest of my life saying, how can I grow in truth and how can I grow in love? How can I grow in truth and how can I grow in love? Would that be enough for the rest of my life? I think it would. Because truth isn't simple. One of the problems with correctly and rightly being aware of false teaching and not getting drawn into false teachings is that we reduce truth. We become reductive. But there's a reason why a lot of the Bible is poetry. You know that? A lot of the Bible is poetry. You can't reduce poetry. A lot of the Bible is narrative. It's story. You can't reduce story. So there's an element of truth that is experiential. And yes, there is an element of truth that is contextual as well. So truth is something we can grow into. Well, I'm not there. I feel like sometimes I've, lo- <laughs> I've had to erase everything I know to go further in the truth. What about love? How do I grow in love? How do I become how do I become love in the world more? How do I do that? I don't know. I mean, if anybody's got a simple discipleship class on how to become more loving, please let me know. Partly because I'll tell you, you nuts. <laughs> you can't do it. But I know that we've got to grow in love. What does that look like? How do I go on growing in love? How does my heart become fuller? How do I have more space in my life to welcome people? How how does that happen? And what if I just held those two questions, truth and love, out in front of me for the rest of my life? Here's the son of thunder again, John. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That was the heresy, by the way. When he was talking about false teachers, it wasn't like fine points of doctrine. It was like people who were saying, Jesus really didn't come in the flesh. And John's saying, uh, I was with him. And we have seen his glory. Glory as the only son from the Father, full of grace, charis, love, same word, and truth. Jesus, 
walked around full of love and truth. He embodied it. He was truth. He was love. And it doesn't matter how long you've been at this, and some of us have been at this for a long time. None of us have got to the end of that journey of becoming fuller of love and truth. Feeling a bit bored in church? Not because CCP, CCP is great, but same old, same old. Maybe it's just time for you to say, how can I grow in truth? And how can I grow in love? How can I do that? What am I going to do? I don't know. It's probably going to be messy. And John knows that he can't do it in two short letters, and he finishes with this, and I'll finish with this. He said, I had much to write to you. There's so much more we could say, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. No, his real letter is going to be himself. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. If I've learned one thing about discipleship, and I haven't learned very much, is that it happens face to face between people living their lives, knowing where they're going, heading towards love and truth, becoming more and more full of that, person to person, life on life, always with Jesus, always led by the Spirit, with truth and love as their signposts. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, as we move towards communion, this thing of eating, taking into ourselves your body, your flesh, your blood, embodying you. I pray now, Lord, that if there's anything that, um, as we were thinking about these letters as I was speaking, where there was just that whisper of perhaps there's something that I need to do to grow in truth or to grow in love, That if there was a whisper of that, and that whisper was from you, that, Lord, we wouldn't forget it as we walk out the door. But rather, we would remember it and accept it as an invitation to move towards you as your disciples. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Every vow we've broken